Take with me your Bibles this evening and turn to Matthew's Gospel in the chapter 22. Matthew's Gospel in the chapter 22. We say thank you once again to Hannah and to Doreen, even for their ministry to us. May the Lord bless it indeed to all of our hearts. Matthew's Gospel, the, in chapter 22, we're entering into the chapter at the verse 1. The Word of God says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. And all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burnt up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So their servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they find, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Ending our reading there at the verse 14. We come to consider once more this theme of hell. Coming to it in light of the gospel from which we, of which we are gathered to proclaim, we indeed wish to do so in a way that implores, a way that exhorts, a way that indeed appeals to those who are yet outside of Christ to heed the warning that is contained in Scripture and indeed to flee from the wrath to come. For as we noted last week, hell is that place that God has prepared for those who know not Him. And where an everlasting torment they shall spend all of their eternity. But you know, sadly, as we come to minister upon hell, there are those who make light of the subject. There are those who shrug their shoulders and say, well, what of it? If that is truly the end of all those who are outside of Christ, and if one day that means that I spend my eternal destiny there, well, what of it? I can remember one evening that we were on the streets of Belfast very late in the day, but nevertheless, as people were coming and going from clubs and from pubs in the city, there was opportunity to get into conversation with a young man. He was evidently someone who grew up in Sunday school, someone who heard, whether on a mother's knee or a grandmother's knee, the truth of the gospel from a very young age. 
nothing that we said to him, nothing that indeed we questioned him about came as any surprise to him. No, he was well versed in the matters of the gospel, and it came especially then to what the Bible proclaims to be the ultimate destination of all those who are yet unrepentant in their sin. He simply shrugged his shoulders and said, well, the party will just keep going. You know, as we come to consider the subject tonight, that is the opinion of some. That is the thought process of some when it comes to the matter of hell. It will be one never-ending party. That which we have reveled in, that which we have enjoyed here on earth, well, the crack will be mighty and it will just keep going and going. But as we come to consider this passage tonight, surely we identify that the Bible has something completely different to say about hell and indeed about all that the unbeliever will experience in hell. And as we come to consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, for that is what is recorded for us here, noting there in the verse 1, Jesus answered and spake unto them by parables and said, then we see very clearly the description that our Lord gives when it comes to hell. When it comes to the experience of the unbeliever in hell throughout all eternity. And surely that's summed up for us there at the end of verse 13 where it says, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew's gospel records this phrase or a form of this phrase more than any other gospel. But nevertheless, this is a phrase most identifiable with our Lord as he describes that eternal dwelling place of the damned. Matthew in the chapter 8 and the verse 12, we find these words, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew in the chapter 13 and the verse 42, speaking of the furnace of fire, he simply relates that there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew's gospel in the chapter 13 again in the verse 50, speaking of the end of the world and the furnace of fire, he says, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew in the chapter 24 in the verse 51, speaking of the wicked servant sentenced to the place with all the other hypocrites of eternal judgment, he says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew in the chapter 25 in the verse 30, speaking of the unprofitable servant being cast into outer darkness, he says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so as we come to consider this subject of hell, a subject, yes, that's not palatable to us, a subject that you had perhaps no desire to hear about tonight as you come into the house of the Lord, nevertheless, it is a subject that is contained in the Word of God, and it is, sub- it is a subject of which our Lord had much to say. And all that He had to say can be summed up surely in that which we come to consider tonight. This phrase there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This description of hell is a biblical one. This description of hell is attributed to our Lord. This description of hell remains factual to this very hour. One that communicates to us the reality of all that will be experienced by the sinner throughout all eternity. Tonight, if you are outside of Christ, 
It's not an an attempt to scare you. It's not an attempt to coerce you. But rather it is an attempt to provide you with compelling evidence of that which will be your reality. Ere your life upon this earth comes to an end and you yet remain in your sin. Come to consider the first part of that phrase, there shall be weeping. What does the Bible mean? What is communicated to us through this phrase? Well, when we come to consider this phrase, we're also then joining it together with that which is found in Matthew in the chapter 13 where he says there shall be wailing. But both these words communicate to us a message of deep and extreme grief. Grief like never experienced before. And no doubt as we gather here tonight, we have all known sad days in our lives. We have all known sad times. We've all experienced loss and heartache and sorrow. And surely as we reflect on that experience that has entered into our life in one season or another, we look back and can remember vividly that deep emotion that truly overwhelmed us and truly consumed our thoughts and our being. But can I kindly say that together all of our experiences of grief joined as one and placed upon one individual, doesn't even come close to the grief that will be experienced and is being experienced by sinners in hell tonight. That grief surely is due to the reality of their forever destination. As they realize that this place of eternal suffering and damnation is a place from which they will never escape. A place that forever and a day they will dwell. Surely it's also because of the blackness and the darkness which is all around. You see here in verse 13 that it's described as the outer darkness, conveying to us the idea of darkness beyond dark. As you and I see the sun set and the night sky rule in, the Bible here is communicating the thickness of blackness even more extreme than that. But yet that is what will prevail throughout all eternity. Heaven is a place of light. Heaven is a place where there is no sun because the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. But hell is something completely different. Hell is a place in which the darkness is not permeated at all. But the darkness simply envelops and surrounds all the time. Surely it's also grief because of the pain and the torment that they are experiencing. The fire ever burneth in hell. The fire never goes out. And that which is being prepared for all those who know not the Lord, well, it knows no abating. 
It knows no cessation. There must not come a day whenever it dies down and simply becomes more bearable. No, that grief, that torment that will be experienced by the unbeliever is everlasting in its perpetuality, but also in its consistency. It's consistently torment right throughout all eternity. It's also because, is it not, the grief is because of their worm. The Lord said, where their worm dieth not, in Matthew's Gospel in the chapter 8, that worm does not die in hell, and many agree that that worm is a reference to our conscience, the conscience of man. That which reminds them of their guilt, that which reminds them of the grace and love that they have spurned, that which reminds them of the times of opportunity that they turned their back on and simply left a meeting like this and left unanswered the question as to what will you do with Christ? Over and over, that eats away at them. Over and over and over, that's played over in their mind and in their heart. Their worm dieth not. Their grief is also surely because of the separation they experience. It's not the one big party that some would profess it to be. It's not even a a place spent in close proximity to mates or to friends or to loved ones. It's a place of eternal separation. Separation from all others, but also separation from the goodness of God. And you see, unbeliever here tonight, despite the fact that you are here yet unsaved, yet outside of Christ, yet having never confessed your sin, yet having never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are one who daily knows the goodness of God in your life. He causes the sun to shine upon the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall upon the believer and the unbeliever. And simply all of that is a reminder, an everlasting testimony to a God who gives us each and every day that which we need and that which we enjoy and that which we benefit and prosper from. But upon that day, the day whenever your soul shall be cast into hell, the day whenever that eternal separation will be known, then that separation means that for all of eternity you will never again experience the goodness of God. And you might say, well, why do I experience the goodness of God here in this life? Well, the Word of God tells us that the goodness of God is that which God desires to lead you, to lead me to repentance. To understand that there's a God in heaven, to understand that we do not deserve any of His love, His grace, or His mercy, to understand that we are sinners under a sentence of condemnation, to understand that through it all He's seeking to appeal to us, seeking to invite us to that place of eternal perfection, at a place of eternal bliss and eternal joy. But hell is a place of eternal separation. We often speak of separation also from God. 
as being the reality of hell. But whilst it is true on the one hand, it is also white of the mark on another. Because make no mistake about it, God is very evident in hell. Hell is the place where his eternal wrath is outpoured. Isaiah reminds us that it is he who lights and fuels a fire by his breath. And in hell, I tell you, there are no unbelievers. No unbelievers when it comes to the reality of their being a God. No unbelievers when it comes to the re- reality of God being a holy God. And yes, the goodness of God is that which the unbeliever will never experience on the other side of eternity. The love and the blessing, the glory and the majesty of God is something that they shall never behold for themselves. But the presence of God, the existence of God, will be a forever condemning reality in their life. So grief is the experience of the unbeliever in hell. Grief because of all that we've spoken of. Grief that means the tears will flow. Grief that means in hell the laments of the broken and contrite heart are never-ending. Grief that will mean in hell the sinner is forever inconsolable and forever hopeless. But we come to consider the second part of that phrase, there shall be weeping. Notice there at the end of verse 13, the gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is a phrase we always associate with anger. And just as much as the grief will be unlike anything known or experienced as sight of hell, so the anger that is exhibited by the unbeliever whilst in hell will be a continual anger and indeed will be an unparalleled anger. Once more, we must ask, well, why is one angry in hell? Why does one gnash their teeth as they spend their eternity in that place of damnation? Well, surely the unbeliever is angry at the lies of Satan, the one who seeks to blind them from the truth, the one who communicates a message of joy and frivolity right throughout the days of their life here on earth, promising them much, but in the end delivering them little. They're angry that they ever fell for such a ploy. They're angry that they ever listened to such a message. Anger also at that which is promised, that which did promise much in life, but delivered little when it came to their eternal destiny. Anger at their own foolishness. Anger also at God for His holiness and for His justice. Tonight, the wheels of hell, the laments of hell, are, yes, those which testify to the grief of the unbeliever, but make no mistake about it, they also give testimony to the anger of the unbeliever. For in hell, there are also those who believe themselves to be righteous here on earth. They lived a good life. 
They did what they could to benefit and to indeed bless the life of others. They attended their church. They gave even to the ministry of that church. And by all of these things, they considered themselves to be someone worthy of heaven. But from a church pew, just like you're sitting in now, they find their eternal destiny to be hell. And oh, the anger that consumes, the injustice that they feel, but yet through it all, they're experiencing that which testifies that God's word was true and every man a liar. So tonight we consider hell, that place where there's weeping, where there's wailing, that place where there's gnashing of teeth, but that place where you don't have to go. This does not have to be your end. It will be. If tonight, just like every other night that you've heard the gospel or every other time that the gospel has been presented and shared to you, you leave without a care or concern, without a second thought as to what has been presented to you. But the truth will always remain that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And tonight, he desires above everything else that you might close in on his offer of mercy and grace that's given to you in this gospel message. That you might indeed hear the warning that is contained in the words that we have spoken. That you may consider your latter end and where will your soul spend eternity. And that you may prepare yourself for that day whenever you shall meet him. The Bible testifies of hell being the place of which the wrath of God is reserved for all those who are outside of him. And we can generalize that, and many times we do, talking about an unbelieving world. Talking about a generation who did not seek God. Talking about a large company of people who all went their own way and pursued their own desires, and in the end died the sinner's death. But tonight that message is also about the individual. For behold in the parable how that when the king came in in verse 11 to see the guests, he saw one man, one individual in that large company of people. And it was upon that one individual that this sentence of condemnation was passed. The truth of the matter is that when it comes to our gathering tonight, God sees you. And he knows your heart's condition. And what may appear to be right on the outside, well, he sees through it all. And he knows those amongst us who are rightly prepared. 
and those who are still unprepared. And tonight the invitation is extended in the gospel. And that warning is given. And that plea is issued to not go to that place of God's wrath. To not allow yourself to suffer the holy and righteous never-ending justice of God. But rather to heed and to hear the invitation. To prepare yourself. And to be in time. You see, the invitations were given out to this wedding. And in the first part, we see those who were extended an invitation, but they heeded not the message that was contained therein. And that is a very prophetical meaning, specifically when it comes to the nation of Israel. But nevertheless, look at the responses <clears throat> that were given by those who received the invitation. Because the Bible tells us that despite being invited, they would not come. They made light of it in verse 5. They simply carried on their way as if nothing had ever occurred, as if no invitation had ever been received. Not only that, but some of them went on to even treat despitefully the ones who were extending the invitation, counting them as, worth, as worthless in their sight because they represented the one who was going to hold this great and grand marriage feast. And so done away with were those invitations. Done away with was the original guest list and now ushers in a new time whenever the king goes and commands his servants go and find new guests to come and to be a part of that wedding celebration. And ushering in that new time and extending that new invitation, they go out and they find the good and the bad. They go out and they find the high and the low. They go out into the highways. They go out into the byways. And they find those willing to come in and to present themselves at the marriage feast. And tonight that communicates to us the truth of the day in which we live. For God extends an invitation to one and all to come and to be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He comes and invites you not to experience the torments and the torture and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth in hell, but He invites you to come and experience the joy and the delight of heaven. He doesn't care where you come from. He doesn't care what you've been involved in. He doesn't care how long you've lived and yet remained outside of Him and yet spurned the invitation in days gone past. Tonight, He afresh invites you, come and prepare for the feast. You don't have to go to where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You can be present at the gathering of the saints. But you cannot come your own way. You have to prepare yourself the God-appointed way. Will you come?
Will you accept the invitation? No matter how many days upon this earth you've lived and considered the invitation, no matter how many times you've thought to yourself, no, that's not for me, realize that God's invitation to you tonight hasn't expired. You still live in the day of grace. Tonight he bids you come. Come. Prepare yourself to be welcomed in to the kingdom that I have prepared for those who know and love me. But it's over to you. For many are called, but few are chosen. Or could we respectfully reword it to say, many are called, but few make the right choice. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come, into your freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to you. Make this the prayer of your heart tonight if you're yet outside of Christ, just where you are. You don't need to seek the face of anyone here on earth. You don't need to hear any more advice that's been given to you than what has been given to you already in the gospel. You can seek the Lord just where you're sitting. And you can prepare yourself for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's stand.